Jonah chapter 2. Well, tonight we will pick up where we left off last week in the story of Jonah. Uh, We have basically left our foolish, rebellious prophet of the Lord floating in the Mediterranean Sea, uh, where death by drowning is, is imminent if it had not been for God. Is that not all the stories that we've heard tonight? If it had not been for God, where would, where would we be? Well, the Lord intervened with Jonah, and this should not surprise us. For those of us who have been saved from drowning in the consequences of our own sin, it is not a surprise that the Lord would intervene. And this is exactly what he does with Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, the chapter ended, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Remember, this is Jonah, the man appointed to go and preach both the wrath and the mercy of God to the Ninevites. The man appointed by God to call the Ninevites to repentance. Well, it seems that Jonah needed some hands-on experience. Jonah needed some time in the field. He needed some combat experience. You see, Jonah was like the Christian. Perhaps you know this type of person. Like the Christian who knew lots of stuff about God in his head, but had not experienced the grace of God in a personal way. We've said this every week, that... Uh, Jonah knew chapter 4 verse 2. He possessed knowledge that God was gracious and merciful, but he had not yet come to know the grace and the mercy of God. And so God is getting Jonah's attention. (laughs) And as we study this text tonight, the main idea that we will see is that God allows us to experience the distress of our sin in order to show us how desperately we need grace. And then he uses our encounter with grace to propel us to tell others that they too need grace. I'll repeat that in a mouthful. God allows us to experience the distresses of our sin so that we can see how much we need grace. And then he sends us out to tell others how much They need grace. Tonight, we are going to see how Jonah becomes the recipient of the grace of God. His head knowledge becomes practical and personal and a graphic, smelly experience. And we're going to see a pattern that I think is repeated all throughout the Bible. God sends rescued sinners to rescue sinners. God sends rescued sinners to rescue sinners. By God's design, those of us who have experienced the undeserved grace of God become the best qualified persons to preach about the grace of God. Not because we're good, but because we know the God who is good. Amen. Well, let's read Jonah chapter 2. Some call it the Psalm of Jonah. Then Jonah, verse 1, prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distresses, 
And he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Let's pray. Father, as we read this text tonight, and as we have heard testimonies of salvation, and as we have sung the greatness of your name, we remember and declare that you are the God who is sovereign over all the earth, and you are sovereign over the details of our lives, and you're sovereign over salvation. So we turn to you, we give you praise and credit, and we ask that tonight you would continue to show us mercy that we do not deserve by helping us understand and feel the truth of your word. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, as you first read this text, it is immediately apparent that the bulk of this text is a prayer. In fact, if I had left out verse the part of verse 1 and verse 10 and asked you to guess what book of the Bible you thought this was from, you would probably say the Psalms. Chapter 1 was action-packed. I mean, right? It it makes a great story to tell to children or to make a movie out of, right? But then it slows down in chapter 2. Now, there's some action (laughs) that bookends our text. Uh, Three big actions. A fish swallows Jonah. (laughs) At the end, the the fish vomits Jonah out into a particular place with GPS coordinates. But in the middle, there is something that happens from chapter 2, verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 9, that is very important. Jonah prays. Jonah prays. Praise. Verse 1, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. That's interesting, isn't it? So far, Jonah is not the guy you want leading your prayer ministry, right? He's not what we would call a prayer warrior. When God gives Jonah a hard job to do, he doesn't pray. He runs. When the storm comes, he doesn't pray. He sleeps. Right? When his life is about to end, he doesn't pray, but he despairs and resigns himself to death. Now, we don't know how long he was floating in the sea uh, between verse 9, or rather uh, verse 16 and verse 17, but the text certainly doesn't include a prayer. I would, I think it's safe to assume, for reasons I'll give later, that he probably didn't pray then. And then suddenly he wakes up in a hellish darkness. 
There's water all around him. There's seaweed wrapped around his head. He's basically dead. There's lots of death language in this psalm. Then he prays. At some point, Jonah must have realized that something extraordinary was happening to him. That he wasn't going to die. This text tells us that in part, he interprets the situation rightly to see at least that God is the one who has rescued him. He was about to die. He knew that he deserved to die. And yet here he was. A sinner. Deserving death. Under the wrath of God. Alive. Anyone have that story here tonight? And now God has gotten Jonah's attention. Here is Jonah, alone, somewhere in the digestive tract of a great fish. And suddenly, for the first time in a long time, Jonah begins to think clearly. Nothing to do but think and hold his nose. Jonah finally begins to realize, I have made a mess of this. I have made a mess of things. And there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing that he could do to fix it. I'm currently, I've been reading a book, a fascinating book called Educated. It's a New York Times bestseller. You might have seen it on the list. But it's about a, about a girl who was raised by fundamentalist Mormons uh, who were, whose parents were survivalists, right? So they stockpiled weapons and foods and big Y2K thing and hoarded water and gas and all that sort of thing. And they didn't believe in hospitals or medicine. They refused to allow their kids to go to school. Very conservative, very violent, very abusive. And, and, and the, one of the most interesting figures in the book is this father who is incredibly proud and a self-reliant man who built all his identity upon the ability to take care of himself. He did not need the government for anything. And then when the, then the, the protagonist, Tara, uh, she and her mother and her father are in a car crash. Her mother has a severe head injury such that you could see into her head. And she and her father escape the crash and they're looking in. They see her mother uh, in distress and they go to rescue her, but then they have to stop because there are live wires from the telephone pole that they crashed into hanging down on the car. They couldn't get to her. And the author speaks of her father, who's this completely self-made, independent man, desperate to save and help his wife, but he couldn't. There was nothing he could do. He was completely, for the first time in his life, completely helpless. And he didn't believe in medicine, so he couldn't even call for help. Couldn't even call an ambulance. She said, my dad was never the same after being so helpless. You talk about helpless. Jonah was helpless. I mean, what do you do if you find... What would one do if he found himself inside the belly of a great fish? Now, don't tell me, right? Don't tell me, hey, I saw Pinocchio. 
Do y'all remember this? You ever have these faint memories? Like, I think I've seen this in a movie somewhere. And if you would have walked into Starbucks this morning, you would have seen one of your pastors watching a 1940s clip of uh, Gestapo, the 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 puppet master inside the belly of a fish who built a fire inside of the whale. Do y'all remember this? Y'all looking at me very funny, right? Okay, well, the thing is, you couldn't do that. You couldn't build a fire inside the fish. That wasn't work. You can't make the whale sneeze, right? Jonah was completely helpless. And so he did what we do when we think we're helpless. He prayed. Friends, you will never call out to the Lord unless you realize you are helpless. Ever. Maybe you do it for pretense so other people think you're good. That doesn't count. You will never genuinely call out to the Lord unless you believe you are helpless. Unless you believe that you need help. Proud people do not pray. They don't see the need. But I think it's safe to say Jonah had reached a low point in his life. A new low point. And it was... Then and only then, with putrid air in his nostrils and weed wrapped around his head, sitting in total darkness, in that darkness, Jonah finally saw the Lord. Friends, sometimes we are so blinded by sin that we cannot see the Lord until we are alone in total darkness. For then his glory shines for us. In order to see the Lord, all of us, in some way or another, we must become blinded like like Jonah or blinded like Saul before we can see so that we call out to the Lord in our distress. We must lose some sense of our sight, become blind before we realize that we are blind to God's glory. And is it not due to the kindness of God's grace that he often lets us experience the consequences and the mayhem of our sin or the chaos of our disobedience before he opens our eyes to his glory and to the light? You would never see him as beautiful if you did not see yourself as in a dire predicament. And Jonah saw that. In, jo- in, chapter, in verse 2b uh, through 6, uh, Jonah is recounting his experience of death. It's death language. It's the language of great distress. Verse 2, I called out to the Lord out of distress. Verse 2 again, in the belly of Sheol. Verse 3, into the deep or into the heart of the sea. Humans don't live there, right? Verse 5, the waters closed in to take my life. In verse 6, Jonah is so deep, he sees the roots of the mountain going by him. Right? What a picture. He's going down to the pit where the end of his life is waiting for him. Jonah was awakened to the death that was brought about by his disobedience. He suddenly had eyes to see what sin does. And friends, I'm here to tell you today, and I know that many of you would stand up and say the same thing, that until we see that we are dead in our sin, until we see that the wide, easy, comfortable road of the world, until we see that it leads to destruction, 
Until you see that you are utterly helpless to save yourself, you will never call upon the Lord and you will never be saved from your sin. You must call out for help. This story reminds us sin leads to death. Friends, your sin is leading you to your death unless you turn. And like Jonah, the scenes passing by our lives outside of the window would be on the road to hell, away from the presence of the Lord. That's what Jonah was experiencing. Unless we turn, we must all come to see that sin leads to death and sinners deserve death. That is the natural outcome. And by the way, you might think, hey, I don't need this. I'm already a Christian. Well, friends, we don't need to piddle with sin. If we know that it leads to death, why would we fool with it? We need to see its outcome. Sin leads to death and sinners deserve such death. I think this is one of the major themes of the book of Jonah. That God sent Jonah to Nineveh. Why? Well, verse chapter 1 tells us it was because their evil had come up before the Lord. Which means Nineveh was under a death sentence. God saw them. They were under his wrath. And Jonah teaches us, friends, that it's not just pagan people out there that need the mercy of God. But it's God's choice servants who need his mercy. Even people who claim to know and claim to preach the mercy of God need the mercy of God. All of us deserve death. The Ninevites, the sailors, Jonah, you, me, the Taliban, all of us deserve death. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's only one category of sinners. Those who have fallen short of the glory of God. And friends, I'm here to say to you tonight, if you have ever experienced an ounce of suffering in your life, or if you've ever felt any of the guilt of your sin or any of the consequences, friends, God is calling to you. He's telling you it is not supposed to be like this. He's working to humble you. And I believe he gives us a taste of death taste of life without him in the hopes that we would turn and live so that we would not know the eternal death of hell. I don't know what sort of struggles you're facing in your life tonight. I don't know what kind of suffering you're dealing with, but could it be God is trying to get your attention? Could it be there's something about his character you do not yet understand? Could it be there's some sense of strength that you're still holding on to that the Lord wants you to give up? Some new degree of helplessness to discover? Could it be God is preparing you to call out for rescue and to trust in him more? Only those who know they are in trouble call for help. The darkness of this great fish was, strangely, God's mercy to Jonah. It was salvation. God gave Jonah a taste of wrath, a taste of death, so that he could feast on and know the fullness of salvation. Friends, have you forgotten what it was like to live without hope in the world? Have you forgotten? 
The Lord doesn't want us to forget. I think it's such an interesting lesson that he's teaching this to a prophet, right? This is a guy who knows a lot about God. In the past, God had tried to teach Jonah about his grace, but now he's showing Jonah that it was he who needs grace. There's a difference in knowing about grace and knowing that you need grace. And there's a difference in knowing about it and loving it. Friends, let's know that we need it and love that we have it. Jonah was being prepared by God to preach a message of grace, so he needed to know it. Jonah had refused to preach about the graciousness of God. And as we saw last week, this is because he didn't know anything about it himself. And God was working to make him care. Showing him the bitterness of sin. What it's like to sit in the shadow of death so that Jonah could relate to those enemy Ninevites. Friends, this too, this is one of the great lessons of Jonah. That God sends rescued sinners to rescue sinners. Because rescued sinners can relate to sinners. Lots of words. Let's just say it again. God sends rescued sinners to rescue sinners because rescued sinners can relate to ruined sinners. Friends, if you have truly been rescued from your sin, then you should be able to commiserate with the most ruined of sinners. Right? Like Jonah, we know what it's like to live under the sentence of death. And that should lead us to a deep humility that we should never outgrow. Even if we've been saved at nine, even even if we've been saved at six, even if you can't imagine a time where you didn't know the Lord, we need to realize the depths of the depravity that is in our heart apart from God. We can never outgrow this. Friends, if if you look on with disgust at members of the LGBTQ community, It means you have forgotten that you've been saved from your own perversion. All have fallen short of the glory of God. If you look on the sinners of the world with shock and dismay, it is because you have forgotten how shocking your sin is to a holy God. God doesn't need you to be worried about their sin. He needs you to be worried about your sin so that you would take it seriously. If you forget these things, it's like we become like the man that is spoken of in Second Peter chapter 1. The man who is nearsighted, so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from former sins. Friends, we as Christians are the only people in the entire world who are equipped to commiserate with all the hopeless, ruined, despairing sinners of the world. Yes, we have the good news, but we also know what it's like to sit under the shadow of death. There's no room for pride for followers of Jesus Christ. For such were all of us, ruined sinners. We're quick to sing, oh, God saved a wretch like me. (laughs) But don't call me a wretch or I'll bite your head off, right? We need to take on that as our 
our memoir, our biography. Is this not a good time to celebrate the remarkable salvation skills of God? He's got skills, doesn't he? Look at verse 6, verse B, right? When all seems lost, Jonah declares, yet you brought up my life from the pit. I figure, I suppose that he's praying this from the belly of the fish, right? Because he's referring to the salvation of God swallowing him. When all seems lost, right before Jonah perishes, God swoops in to save an unforgiving sinner who doesn't give a rip about God. Nothing in this text should overshadow how surprising the salvation of our sovereign God is. I mean, the ingredients to every salvation story are right here, right? You have a ruined sinner about to die, and then you have the sovereign mercy of God, and then you have a surprising salvation. Is that not your story? A ruined sinner about to die, the sovereign mercy of God, and then you have a surprising salvation. Friends, we should not be more surprised that God saves. I was just reading about the church that's growing in Iran. (laughs) God is so good at what he does. We should not be more surprised that God saves them than that he saves us. If God can send a fish to save Jonah, and if God conceive an arrogant religious person to preach to Nineveh and save Nineveh, what can he not do? Right? Like, what non-Christian are you praying for that is too hard for God? Right? Who is too far away for his arm to reach? Who can he not save? Who is too bad for our God? He saved Jonah. And by effect, he ended up saving Nineveh through a fish. Right? That should give you encouragement in your evangelism. God used a fish. Perhaps he could use me, right? Friends, God is working all this. This is God's plan. He's doing it. He's really good. Don't you see him showing off in this text? Isn't this great? He didn't send a boat. Like, that would make sense. (laughs) He sent a fish. I was watching a video of uh, a group of local elementary school children who went to the North Carolina They went to the Dean Dome. I'm sorry, you just got to deal with this. This is part of it, right? They went to the Dean Dome to watch a Carolina basketball uh, practice. So they filled up a whole section of elementary school students. And and so the players had finished their practice. And and so um, they were doing some dunks for the kids. Now, if you don't watch basketball, you need to understand. A layup, which I can do, is worth two points. A dunk which I cannot do, is also worth two points, right? These players were not doing layups for these kids. Uh, we have a top freshman recruit, 6'3", Cole Anthony. Um, I'm 28 days till this. <clears throat> All right, uh, we have this freshman recruit. He's shorter than me. He threw himself an alley-oop. The ball bounced at the free, he's 6'3", okay? The ball bounced at the free throw line. He jumped up, he caught it in the air. He put it between his legs, brought it back behind his back and did a windmill dunk for these kids, right? He's showing off. The kids went nuts because a dunk is more impressive than a layup. Y'all, with this fish, 
God is dunking. Do you see what he's doing? Do you see how strong his arm to save really is? That's what God does in salvation. He saves surprisingly bad people in surprisingly glorious ways. That's what God does, right? We have so much reason to share the gospel with expectation. So the guy that you shared with didn't get saved. You have no idea what God's doing behind the scenes. God is good at all that he does. And his main thing, saving sinners in surprising ways. We should maybe pray more. And maybe speak more. And not despair. Who would have suspected salvation through a fish? (laughs) Can't even make that up, right? Whoever wrote Pinocchio had to steal it from God. And who would have suspected salvation through a cross? As we come to verse 7 in the psalm of Jonah, we see Jonah actually remember the Lord and call out for help. There's a couple things that we could note about this. Uh, I have to reiterate the point we've been making that God really has a way of making you pray. Right? Have you seen those times in your life? Once Jonah had become weary of his sin and weary of its effect, that's when he called out to the Lord. Friends, let's not be like Jonah. Let's go day after day, morning after morning, hour by hour. Let's not wait for disaster to strike before we call out to the Lord. But something else uh, that's interesting here, um, really, and I have to mention this, it really comes from the whole psalm, not just verse 7. But we could ask, where do you think Jonah got this psalm? There's a lot of questions about Jonah that we're not answering in our four weeks. I I, I get that. Uh, But, you know, we like to read about these things. And um, scholars do what scholars do. And they ask questions about everything. Like every question you can think of, somebody is, you know, they're they're asking. And they're asking the question, where did this come from? Well, (laughs) some scholars trace the psalm, you know, some parts of Jonah chapter 2. To Psalm chapter 3. And some of them trace it to Psalm chapter 5. Some trace it to Psalm 16. And I'm not kidding. Others trace it to Psalm 18, Psalm 31, Psalm 42, Psalm 50, Psalm 65, Psalm 88, Psalm 120. Right? I think that we could assume that since Jonah had been raised and nurtured in the Psalms, he'd probably stored up some Psalms in his heart. Don't you think? He'd probably stored some up in his heart. And I think this is a perfect example of why we should dwell and soak our hearts in the Bible, particularly the Psalms. Because when your day of distress comes, even if you are running from the Lord, you'll have something to say. You'll have something to pray. The Psalms teach us how to pray. They are the voice of the church, the voice of the Christian, whether he is suffering, whether he's disobeying, whether he's excited about the glory of God, whether he's frustrated with God. The Psalms are the voice of the Christian. And if you spend time storing them up in your heart, even if you don't feel them, you have no idea when the Spirit may call them to mind. Jonah did not have his pocket New Testament and Psalms. He did not have his Bible app, but he had some truth stored up in his heart. 
And who knows, this, could have, this whole story could have been different if it weren't for that. Store God's word in your heart and it will be light to you when you find yourself in darkness. Side note. In, uh, let's see, in verse 8 and 9, Jonah makes a vow of praise and thanksgiving and then he ends with this glorious statement here in verse 9. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Amen, church? Salvation belongs to the Lord. Several weeks ago when we introduced this book, one of the themes that we put on our radar was that the sovereignty of God shines forth from every chapter of this book. His sovereignty is exercised in how he gives orders to storms and fish and controls dice and lots and and how he controls plants and worms and how he calls people to repentance, but it is most clearly seen in his sovereignty and salvation. I mean, I just want you to think about this. Think with me. What deed did Jonah do to initiate God's grace? Think about it from the text. What deed, what did he say, what did he pray, what did he do, what did he think, what did he feel that initiated God's grace? When do we see Jonah asking for rescue? When does Jonah ask for help? After, after salvation, after God rescues him. God saves Jonah before Jonah seeks God. God saves Jonah before Jonah seeks the salvation of God. I mean, what did he do in the text? He did nothing. The only thing that Jonah contributes to this story And it's complicated, but the only thing that he contributes is unbelief, rebellion, folly, and sin. Y'all, that's my story. That is my, that is the story of my life until God saved me. That's my 30-second testimony. That's my story, and if you know Christ, that's your story. Yes, there's all sorts of details of how he worked in your heart. He used invitations and VBS teachers and preachers, and, and, and he used his word. But in all of those, the Spirit of God drew you to God, and he gave you eyes to see. <laughs> the only reason that, jo- <laughs> well, Grace, let's just think about it. This is what's so amazing here. Jonah did nothing to deserve God's grace. He did nothing to deserve God's rescue. And that's what's so amazing about the cross. That's what's so amazing about salvation. Grace comes first. Grace always comes first. Otherwise, it's not grace. It's merit. Grace comes to the sinner first, and that grace enables the sinner to cry for help. Do we have to have, do we have to respond to the grace of God to be saved? Yes, absolutely. But the reason that we respond is because God pursues us and saves us and enables to do that. Jonah did not take the first step here. He didn't, he ran, right? That's what sinners do. They run from God. God took the first step, and that's why salvation belongs to the Lord. As sinners, we've done nothing to deserve or initiate God's grace. We contribute as much as Jonah did to his rescue, as much as Lazarus did to his resurrection, 
and as much as Saul did to his conversion. Salvation is of the Lord, and for that we marvel. Isn't that good news? And still today, Christ is calling to sinners through the power of the gospel. And when the Holy Spirit gives life to the soul, the sinner opens his eyes, believes, and is saved, and calls out upon the Lord. You see, the Bible, Paul says that salvation is a gift of God so that no one can boast. And instead of boasting, I did part of this, we say, salvation belongs to God. So he gets all the glory and honor and praise. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Jonah was dead. He's pictured dead in his trespasses and sins in the tomb of his fish. Now he's alive. That's what God does. Friends, this is such a great lesson for us. It is possible. Just hear me on this. It is possible for sinners who are facing the wrath of God that even though we will die, it's possible to live again. Y'all, I shared this, I shared the gospel with my kids the other night. They're getting a greater sense of what death means. And I tell them, but you can live again. Hear it with the eyes and the ears of a child. This is good, good news. Remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well? I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. For Jesus said, just as Jonah was in three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Just as Jonah emerged with the expulsive uh, propulsion, right? Just as Jonah emerged from the tomb of the fish, Jesus emerged from the tomb of the cross. Jonah and Jesus both prove in different but similar ways that when the power of God is involved, those who are dead can live again. Don't forget... Jonah was vomited out by the fish and he was vomited onto a particular place, onto dry land, right? God still had a purpose for him. Isn't that interesting? God still had a purpose for Jonah and he didn't do that great. Can we just go ahead and say he's not a great success story. God still had a purpose for Jonah, the sinner, and friends, God still has a purpose for you. He does not whisk us up to heaven once we are saved. Just as Jonah had a message to preach, friend, you too have a message to preach. And it just so happens to be the exact same message. You see, when Jesus emerged from the tomb, what did he do shortly after? He gathered all his followers around him. Those who said, I want to be a follower of Christ. And he told them these words. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. That, that, by the way, is why we have to disciple. That's why I'm a biblical counselor. To help teach somebody 
everything that God has commanded. That is a lot. We have so much work to do. Everything. And he says, behold, I'm with you always till the end of the age. For this is God's surprising plan of salvation. God rescued Jonah with the fish. And he sent him off to tell of his mercy. And some years later, God would rescue sinners with a cross and with a tomb. And he would then send his disciples into the world to preach to all the nations, even our enemies. God's masterful design is that for those of us who have come to experience firsthand, who, who marvel at the undeserved grace of God that we have found, that in God's design, we are the most qualified to preach about the grace of God with zeal and compassion. God sends rescued sinners to rescue sinners. Have you been rescued? Well, then praise him and go rescue others. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would shake our hearts from the same apathy that Jonah had about the souls of others and give us a heart for the lost. I pray, Father, that you would help us carry within us the deep humility that is generated by the gospel, that the cross tells us how bad we are apart from Christ, that we all, every one of us has fallen short and we deserve God's wrath. So, Father, give us sympathy and compassion for sinners who are around us, not anger, not bitterness, and certainly not arrogance. And help us, help us to speak your truth with grace and tenderness and mercy. We ask this in your name. Amen. Here, dismiss church. Go in peace.